the house of God this morning. Amen. for us. Amen. Amen.
church, lift your voice. I think I shared with you guys a few months ago, there was um, a gentleman that we've met and he's a home inspector and and a really, um, really nice guy, married and has uh, three kids and his oldest son, him and his wife are married and they are having a baby. So he's gonna be a first time grandpa. And he was just sharing with us about how um, that his daughter-in-law has been in the hospital now since she's been 18 weeks along and she's gonna stay in the hospital until she has the baby. There's a lot of complications and I don't know all the terms, but um, the baby's just not doing good. They're hoping that, and, and they're praying and the doctors feel like it's gonna come out fine, but there's gonna be a lot of complications that in the future for this child that it's not gonna be able to live what we call a normal life. And, uh, and he was just, he started weeping and um, he's a military guy. So it was, he just got really soft hearted. It was just a really neat, neat time that we had together and, and uh, just shared faith and everything. Well, then it was a couple months later and he came to, uh, to the shop and him and I were talking again. He brought his wife and um, we had made a barn door for his son son and daughter-in-law's house because the son-in-law or the son has just been in the hospital with her the whole time working and then just going in there they bought this home for really cheap and they just been trying to work on it to, for when the baby comes home but it's just been he hasn't had time so the dad the guy that i've been talking to has been just remodeling it and i said i'd love to do a barn door for you and and so anyway they came yesterday and he's like oh we're just so appreciative of this and i said oh no i said let us know if there's anything he's like just prayer I said, well, we're going to stop right now. And I don't know if he was even a man of faith, but him and his wife both, they just grabbed hands and I just laid hands on both of them and just prayed. I said, God, through a lot of uncertain times right now, a lot of unknowns, but I pray, God, that you would just bring your peace that passes all understanding. Church, there's many things that we go through every day in our life that we just need the peace of God. Amen. We need the peace of God. We need God just to come and just to give us and show us and and to display his peace, to display his power on our lives. And I'm praying, and I, and I told him, I gave him a couple testimonies of one of our son when he was on life support for 17 days and other kids that were battling different things that God just brought him through. And I said, you know, I said, I'm believing for a good report. No matter what it is, I'm believing for a good report that God is gonna 
one way or another have a testimony through this child's life. And they were so appreciative. And um, name is Joe and Shelly. If you guys ever have time to pray for them, just pray for their family. But this next song that um, that we're gonna do, it's it's an old one. In fact, I don't know if the band ever even <laughs> heard of it until this morning. But uh, it's one of my favorite songs, and it's just amazing how how infinite that how just how huge God is it blows my mind of how big our God is, and. Uh, and sometimes how we can feel like we can live life on our own. But yet, because we serve a God who's so great, we understand and start to realize that it's, it's not about us. And that's what I was telling with Joe. I said, man, I believe that God is big enough to do whatever he needs to do. So let's sing this song this morning. For someone here this morning, and I believe it. So open your hearts and let's just worship together. And I have made you too small in my eyes, oh Lord, forgive me. And I have believed in a lie that you. Unable to help me, but now, oh Lord, I see my wrong. Heal my heart and show yourself strong. And this morning. Oh, Lord, be Heal my 
every hand just be lifted in this place right now and just take the next few moments and just magnify our King. Father, we bless your name. We bless your name, O oh God. Be magnified, O oh Lord, in this place, Lord, be magnified. Holy God, holy God, holy God, we cry out to you. Come on, lift your voice, church. Holy God, I cry out to you, O oh Lord. Be magnified in my life. Be magnified, O oh Lord. You are exalted. You are exalted. You are exalted. Jesus, 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 Jesus.
Father, we're so thankful for your presence that's in this place. Lord, I pray right now that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but more importantly, we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, it's great to be in church this morning, amen. Well, good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Everybody good? Wonderful. It's a great day to be in God's house and just believing for good things. Good to see all your smiling faces and it's good to see you those that aren't smiling as well. (laughs) Glad to see you all. We have special guests this morning, uh, missionary family to Columbia. I know this family well. Francisco was a young man that came up from Panama and became part of our church. And Lisa was a young lady that I've known since she was about three years old, I think, something like that. And uh, they've grown up and gone into ministry. And I, I say this not in any arrogant kind of way or, or um, stepping out of line at all, but Paul said, or John, Paul, somebody said, I rejoice when I see my children walking the truth. John said that. And uh, I appreciate seeing those that we've been able to pour into that go on to do great things for the kingdom. So would you give a welcome this morning to Francisco and Lisa Castillo and their family. Typically, I start because it's hard to follow her. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, 
it's so good to be here. And uh, just this morning we were commenting and the kids were commenting on, oh, look, that's the camera we've been, uh, well, it's nice to see the camera now because for the last six months we've been watching you guys or we've been watching here with you. Um, they just lifted quarantine in Colombia. So as of last week, churches are now able to meet again, like no more than 50 people, but um, that's the situation there. So I've been... Uh, doing something that have become like a tradition for us. I've been making pancakes on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Thank you, YouTube tutorials, because I've been lacking in the creativity. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's so good to be here. And if you're wondering, how does these guys do ministry during a quarantine? Um, it's difficult, it's not easy, but uh, we believe that God is more creative than we are. And we're collaborating with God and praying at all times. Um, the foundation that we work with, um, we work directly with Kevin and Cindy Elder, your missionaries from, from here, from Iowa. And uh, we work with their foundation. We've been able to uh, gather groceries and been able to uh, take that to, to some people, some families in need, over 150 uh, bags of groceries. Um, also, we've been able to put up some trainings online virtually for some churches that are maybe struggling with the whole uh, Facebook Live or uh, just doing anything virtually. Me and the kids have been able to go to the Bible Institute and do some remodel with construction and things like that. Believe it or not, they can, they can dig pretty good. Um, but on a more personal level, we have been able, we prayed and we said, God, we want to really step out of the four walls of the church. It's obviously a reality for us to have to be outside of the church because we can't be inside the church. So one of the biggest problems in Medellin is the people who live in the streets, homelessness. It's like... Nothing I've ever seen in my life is thousands of people who live in the streets. And we can't possibly think that we can touch them all or we can minister to all of them. But we've been praying for the Holy Spirit to just give us discerning. And we've been able to spend time with some people and just pour into their lives and have many Bible studies under bridges. And um, we don't think that we can do anything. But what we can do is believe the Holy Spirit is working on people every day and we believe that we can just be that instrument to push them just a little bit closer to make a decision for Jesus Christ. So once again, thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for all of your support. It's been a privilege to be here and God bless you. We're going to give you an opportunity to be part of this ministry. We do support the Castillos on a monthly basis, and uh, Carol and I love to reminisce. Is that a sign that you're mature, <laughs> right, when you start to reminisce a little bit? Anybody in the house? <laughs> um, but was it rainbows when Lisa would come turning cartwheels into the class? What's that? Oh, in third grade stars, she'd turn cartwheels into class, come in and just so excited. And it's good to see that um, ramped up and in, engaged in ministry. And so they've not asked me to say this, but I'm just going to be a little transparent with you. The reason they're back in the United States is uh, Lisa's mother, uh, Clemencia, passed away. And uh, while they were on their way, they were actually in the airport coming back to the U.S. when she passed away and there's a number of expenses that go with that not only their travel that wasn't planned but then funeral expenses that there wasn't coverage for and a number of expenses that have put them in a difficult place financially 
And so uh, I'm not trying to embarrass them. I'm just asking you to be generous this morning with your giving. And so we obviously aren't passing the the uh, offering basket, but we do have the offering box at the back where you can put in a cash offering, mark it on your envelope, uh, check or cash, you can mark Castillo. And if you want to give online, if you'll text uh, Castillo, C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O, and the dollar sign and the amount, all right? So text Castillo, the dollar sign and the amount, to 84321. Uh, that will go to their account. We'll make sure it gets to them. And we want to be able to be a blessing to them. So let me just pray over this offering and appreciate your financial giving and helping us continue to move forward. We're very, very thankful for that, that you're helping us continue to do what God's called us to do. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the Castillo family and their heart and passion to serve you in the field you've called them to. I ask now that you'd move on our hearts with generosity and that we would give in a way that would be honoring to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank God for the ability to work. <laughs> that was painfully weak. I said, thank God for the ability to work. Even if you're not able to work, you can do the work of the kingdom by praying and seeking the face of God and lifting up hands that hang down. Do you know that work was not part of the curse in the garden? Sweat was. Work was part of the creation of God for all of mankind. We are created with an innate desire to do something that matters and produces. And we see that in Nehemiah chapter 3. We began in chapter 1 when Nehemiah asked God to grant him success in this journey that God had put on his heart. In chapter 2, he asked for favor. So here's the deal. Once you have God's blessing of success and God's blessing of favor, you got to do something. There comes a point when it's time to stop praying and start working. <laughs> this is going to be an uphill pull all the way, isn't it? I said there comes a point where it's time to stop praying and start working. You've got to do something and God will bless. When you talk about success and favor, I can't go into the 
details this morning, but the uh, ministry on Drake campus, uh, Jeremy and Tiffany are involved in Kyle and Drake, and God's opened some amazing doors this week that can only be attributed to fa a favor that will bring success because you're doing the work. And there's a work for all of us to do for the kingdom. This world still needs to hear about Jesus and that he is the answer and that he is our help and he is our hope. At some point, you've got to decide to do what God's called you to do with all of your heart, regardless of the circumstances around you. And Nehemiah chapter 3 tells us two things that are really important. Two things that are really important. God knows your name and God knows what you do. So it doesn't matter what your task is. What matters is to remember that God knows you. In chapter 3, all of the workers are named by name and some of them by their family name and the people that were involved with them and they're recorded as to what their occupation was. And if there was one truth I would sow into you right now that whatever you have found your hand to do is equipping you for what God has for you to accomplish. He's shaping you for a purpose. It matters to God what you do, and it matters to God who you are. I don't know who first said this. The earliest recorded um, uh, account of this next phrase is Margaret Thatcher. She didn't invent it. I don't know where it actually came from, but in almost every leadership training I've ever had, somewhere along the line, someone will say, it's important to plan your work and then to work your plan. How many of you know that if you don't plan your work, it'll be chaotic? And if you don't work your plan, nothing will be accomplished. You can have great plans, but you've actually got to put those to work. So here's what I want you to see that's important in Nehemiah chapter 3 about doing the work of God. And by doing the work of God, I'm not limiting it to what happens here at Berean. I'm saying to you that the work of God is what you do Monday to Sunday or Sunday to Monday through the whole week. Whatever God's called you to do, that, that progression of work is what he asked for you to do. And in the church, there's some elements of that that are really, really important. How many of you want to see us win our city? Okay, this side over here needs to find Jesus. <laughs> Let's try this again. How many of you want to reach our city, your city, our communities, our state? This, uh, it's, it's time for us to do that. And I'm praying and believing and sowing and shouting and encouraging you to open your ears to God and say, God, what would you have me do in the place where you have planted me? I can't come up with enough programs to give everybody something to do, but God has enough calling to give everybody something to do. Amen. Hello? But what does that look like? What are the ingredients of that? And when it comes to the church, there's some important uh, criteria here. Number one that we see in the beginning of chapter 3 with all these names and all these details is that diversity enhances the work of God. Now, I'm going to say some things here that will help us. Diversity enhances the work of God. And so I'm going to walk out here a little bit on some dangerous ground. I know where the back door is. I know how to sneak out of here. 
the emphasis in our culture today on diversity is breeding division. I'm just saying to you, I'll own that. And you can call me racist, you can call me pig-headed, you can call me a bigot, you can call me anything that you want to call me. But from my journey on this earth, our current emphasis on diversity is about alienation and separation. And God's emphasis on diversity is about drawing us all together to love one another in a giant family of all nations around the world, praying for each other, hugging one another, loving one another, and doing the work of God together. And God didn't intend for the work of God to be done by African-Americans or by Asian-Americans or by Caucasian-Americans, but out of every people group under heaven, laboring together to do what he's called us to do, the kingdom of God should be marked not by, not by uniformity, but by diversity. That's how it should be marked, by people of various backgrounds. Now, that doesn't mean here that the tent was wide open in diversity to other ethnicities in this time in Nehemiah because those pagan groups around had rejected the creator of the universe. And so it's not a racial statement. It's saying that everyone who believes in the God of heaven ought to be able to work together for the kingdom regardless of your occupation, regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of what job you do, how much money you make or how much money you don't make. We ought to be able to link arms for the cause of the kingdom to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hallelujah. Diversity marks the kingdom of God. It enhances the work of God. Where we see it here is in a diversity of workers. As you read through this chapter, here's what you discover. Now remember, what's the job they've been called to do? The job they've been called to do is to rebuild the walls of the city, to redeem the city. And however you mark that, they didn't have uh, end loaders. They didn't have, they didn't have all the power equipment that we have today. So rebuilding the walls out of stone would be difficult work. How many of you could see that? That's going to be manly man kind of work. That's going to be broad shoulders and callous hands kind of work. I mean, it's going to be tough. This isn't for the faint of heart. This is going to be hard work. I'll never forget Um, uh, And it just popped back into my head. When we sent a group of our students uh, to do an outreach out of state and they ended up working, (laughs) they ended up working on cleaning a field and rebuilding a lot of physical labor. And we had all all of the students, when they got back, line up on the platform and share their testimony. And I remember one of the young ladies said, we, she said, I've never worked like that in my life. For the first time in my life, she said, I experienced back sweat. (laughs) I thought, well, that's worth the trip. Hallelujah. Come on. I think every believer ought to experience some back sweat once in a while. Come on. Someone help me right now. You ought to know what it is to put a little work, a little energy into what you're doing. And so that's the job. Who came? Well, there were religious and government officials. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. 
But I'm thinking of a government official doing more than holding a shovel, taking a picture, and then giving it to somebody else. Yeah. Talking about government officials who may not have done an honest, no, I shouldn't say honest, hadn't done a day of manual labor in their lifetime. Religious leaders tend to not be the most skilled sometimes in manual labor, and here they show up. I bet there wasn't a callus among them. I bet most of them didn't know what back sweat was. Then what do you have? The next group you have are goldsmiths and perfume makers. Now, I'm just telling you. I'm, I know that making perfume is a skilled science. Is there anyone here that's a perfume maker? I don't want to offend you, but what I'm going to say, any perfume makers? Any? I mean, you have to be a chemist. You have to be all of that. But I'm just telling you, if I were at a party and I made perfume, I'd come up with something else to describe what I do. Hello, what do you what do you do for a living? Uh, I make perfume. I don't know. There's just something about that. That's not who I'm going to pick to join me on the construction team. Are you are you hearing me? And goldsmiths, I'd like what they produce, but that's fine, intricate, delicate kind of work. Who else came? Oh, one guy brought his daughters. In this whole list of men, one man brought his daughters to do the work. So those of you who think for a minute that the kingdom of God is built by men need to repent of your arrogance and have God give you a fresh new thought. I was talking to a pastor who said, I don't think that women ought to be able to preach. I don't think they ought to be able to lead worship. I don't think they ought to be on the platform. And I thought, you need to go back 150 years and repent because there's a recognition in this era that the kingdom of God is built by men and women. Somebody say men now. Come on, ladies, help me out this morning. It's built by men and women. And this dad, I love this dad. He didn't say, girls, stay at home and cook lunch. He said, girls, get out on the building site. We've got a wall to build. We have a job to do. And he brought his daughters with him. Come on, someone help me this morning. He brought his daughters on the job. The surrounding regions came in. They didn't even live there. They could have said, it's not our town. It's not our problem. It's not our need. And they came in to help. You see, every one of them could have had an excuse. And every one of them had a reason to be eliminated. But God isn't looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability to do the work of the kingdom. And it doesn't matter whether or not you think you're qualified. And it doesn't matter whether other people think you're qualified to do the work of the kingdom. All you've got to do is say, here am I, send me, and he'll put you in a place that fits you to do the work he's called you to do. The Apostle Paul gives a great picture of diversity in the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And listen to what he says. It's really a comical text. The human body has many parts, but not many parts make up, uh, but the many parts make up one body. The human body has many parts. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the head, does that make it any less part of the body? Um, and he goes on with that description, because I'm not a hand, does it make it any less part of the body? If the ear says I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Or suppose the whole body were an eye. Now, just think about that. Think about what he describes. How effective would you be if you were just 
an eyeball. You'd hate carpet. You'd have to roll on the carpet to get in here. Have you ever gotten a fiber in your eye? I mean, you don't even have eyelids. You're just an eyeball. And he says, imagine if you were an ear. You couldn't even walk. They'd have to bring you in somehow and sit you in the chair. You'd have to sit you're only. And I can tell you what, the eyeball would be saying the light's too bright or it's too dark. And the ear would be saying it's too loud or it's too soft. But we're not just one part, are we? How many of you are glad that you're more than just an eye? I love my eyes, but I'm glad I'm not just an eye. I love my ears, and I'm glad I'm not just an ear. And he's saying, pay attention to how God created you. You have a variety of physical parts that all work together to get a single job done, which is to glorify God. So we can't have a church full of people that all look alike, think alike, act alike. We have to understand that diversity is what enhances the work of the kingdom. We need every one of us. Now think about it this way. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you believe that? Hold up your neighbor's hand. If you don't believe it, pretend like you do. It'll go quicker. Do you know what that means? Here's what I believe that means. I believe that God is omniscient. I believe he knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know. So that means before you were born, Tom, he knew you'd spend how many years with, can I say the company? CenturyLink. CenturyLink, how many years? 38 and a half years with CenturyLink. That really surprised God. He didn't think he'd last 20. <laughs> you know what that means? God knew before he was born that it'd be 38 and a half years at CenturyLink. You know what else that means? God also knew, are you still with me? Yes. God also knew everyone that would work alongside him, everyone that would come in contact with him, and he knew all the people that need, would need a living testimony of Jesus Christ and perfectly shaped him to slide into that spot to be a missionary to everyone he came in contact by influence or conduct. God knew all of that and shaped him for that slot. You're in a spot he shaped you for. You're not in a spot where he said, well, I didn't want them there. He knew that you would be there. He knew how you would get there. And he's designed a field for you to serve. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made to be different than the rest of us and fearfully and wonderfully made to fit a spot that you're in. Beth, every person that comes through Subway, you have an opportunity to touch for Jesus, and he's perfectly called you and shaped you to serve him at Subway. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Fearfully and wonderfully made wasn't just, oh, what a cute little baby, and God walked away. He shaped you, your DNA, your purpose, your direction, your life course, the family you were born into. Some of you were born into wonderful families. Some of you were born into horrible families. But it shaped you into what you are today. And from that platform, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made and shaped and created to do the very thing that God has designed for you to do that no one else can do. Fearfully and wonderfully made. If any two of us agree on everything... One of us is unnecessary. Right? <laughs> okay, let's move on. 
diversity enhances the work of God. And here's what you have to understand. The Bible is all about unity. But unity is not the same as uniformity. I've been to churches where all the men look just like the pastor. Have you ever been to those? I mean, they comb their hair the same. They dress the same. I've never had that problem. All the women try to look like the pastor's wife. They, they want uniformity or uniformity on the platform. And there was a time where we had dress codes. We all wore the same color. And that's kind of cool. I like that. But that's not the kingdom. Unity is not the same as uniformity. Unity is a diversity that joins together for a solid purpose. And it's that diversity in unity that enhances the work of the kingdom. Second, in this chapter, as you read through it, principle that jumps out number two is that humility enables. If diversity enhances the work, it's humility that enables the work. <laughs> oh, hallelujah, this is going to be fun. Humility enables the work to happen. Do you know that God can't do anything through prideful people? That the devil was lifted up and when you're full of yourself, you're just like the devil and you'll fall into the trap and snare of the devil. And humility isn't thinking less of yourself. That's inverted pride. Humility is seeing yourself the way God sees you, understanding how he has shaped you and operating inside that context. Now, we're going to take a little journey this morning. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I want to take you on a sightseeing tour around the city of Jerusalem. Since Nehemiah recorded that for us, it might be important for us to follow the journey. Okay, you with me? I'm your tour guide. We're on a big yellow bus. No, we're not. We're on a Greyhound. We're on a bus with air conditioning. <laughs> and our journey begins where? At the sheep gate. What was the sheep gate? The sheep gate is where they brought the sheep in. Why were sheep important? Because that was one of the primary sacrifices. And on the day of a, uh, on, on various atonement or various uh, blood sacrifices, it would be a lamb without blemish and without spot, a paschal lamb that was offered. And so someone would say, where'd you work today? I worked at the sheep gate. I was reminded of the sacrifices and the provision. I thought about Abraham and Isaac all day today while I was working at the sheep gate. That would be a great place to work. Then where did you work today? Well, I worked at the Tower of 100. Now, we don't really know what that means. It could have been 100 feet high or it could have had 100 steps going up the tower, but it was a tower that was well-known and large. I got to work at the Tower of 100 today. Everybody knows the Tower of 100. I was in a place of prominence. People could see me because my work was high and lifted up. Then there's the Tower of Hananel. And we don't know anything about that other than its name. God has been gracious. Well, where'd you work today? Well, where I worked is a tower where God's grace was everywhere. I just experienced the grace of God. How many of you would like to have a job that was marked by the grace of God? You know, just the tower of God's grace. Then the fish gate. Where did you work? I worked by the fish gate. Why was it the fish gate? Because it was near the fish market and it was a place of commerce, a place for people to get food. I got to work at the fish gate and I got some extra tilapia today. I got a little extra, some other kind of food to bring home. It's a great place to work at the fish gate. Where did you work today? Well, I worked at the Jashana gate. 
It's called the old gate. Do you know what that was? That's where the elders gathered. That's where the thought and leadership of the city took place. When it says the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God, it was that kind of a gate where the elders would gather. Where'd you work today? Tell you what, I had a great place to work today. I got to work at the gate of the elders. You could just sense the anointing of where the elders would gather together. You could just feel the presence of God there. Where did you work? Well, I I worked at the broad wall. It was the thickest wall of the city. It was the defensive structure of the town. I worked and was able to reinforce the place that drives the enemy back. There was just something about working on the broad wall that put a little fire in my step, thinking about all the battles that God had won through his people in Jerusalem. Where did you work today? Well, I worked at the Tower of the Ovens. What happens at the Tower of the Ovens? It's a place where the bread for the table of showbread in the holy place was made. It was something holy and hushed there. There were other ovens too that made provision for the community. But I just felt the blessing of God at the tower of the ovens. Where did you work today? I worked at the valley gate. What's the valley gate? The valley gate just opened to a beautiful valley. It was one of the exits into a place of refreshing and relaxing. And it said, just like it, it almost felt like, it almost felt like I hadn't even worked. It was so beautiful out in the valley. Where did you work today? Well, I I worked at the fountain gate. The fountain gate was where people came for cleansing by immersion in water before they went into the temple. Well, how'd that go? Oh, it was wonderful. I could just see and feel a restoration of a place where people would come in and wash themselves and lay aside their sin. It was such an encouraging place to work. Where did you work today? Well, I worked at the water gate. Different than the contemporary water gate. How many of you didn't even get the reference? You're too young. Okay. The water gate led down to the Gion Spring where there was fresh water. It was just encouraging to see a place established. Where did you work today? I worked at the great projecting tower that oversaw the city and could see the uh, armies coming that were coming against us or people coming home. Where did you work today? I worked at the wall of Ophel, a fortified place of great importance. That's where I worked. I had an important job today. Where did you work today? I worked at the horse gate. What was the horse gate? It was close to the king's stables and the men of Jerusalem would ride their horses in and out of this gate to war. And while I was working, I could think of the armies of David and the armies of the kings as they would go thundering out to battle and come back having led us to victory. It was a wonderful place to work at the horse gate. Where did you work today? Oh, I got to work at the Eastern gate, just inside. How many remember that Southern gospel song? Just inside the Eastern gate. I could have worked there all day. It's the place that had an entrance directly into the temple and the courtyard. I could feel the glory of God as I worked all day at the eastern gate. Where did you work today? Well, I worked at the inspection gate. That's where David would gather the armies and line them up. And I could feel the power and the majesty. So from gates to walls to towers to gates to walls, everybody would. I had a great day today. I skipped one. Where did you work today? Oh, shut up. I worked at the dung gate. (laughs) I mean, that's what it was called. How would you, I mean, with all the other opportunities, 
How do you like to be the guy that drew the straw for the dung gate? How many of you know what dung is, or do I need to explain? <laughs> this side knows more than this side does. I don't know why it is. How many the dung gate? You know what I'm talking about? Dung. You know what dung is, okay? It was, there were a lot of animals in Jerusalem. It's where all the dung, <laughs> it was a dungy job to carry all that out. All the ashes went out from there. And do you know where that gate opened to? The Valley of Hinnom. What was the Valley of Hinnom? It was called Gehenna. It's symbolic of hell. Where did you work today? I worked at the gates of hell today. I want to ask how many of you have a job you describe as the gates of hell. <laughs> I had to try to trade. Do you think maybe instead of working at the gate of hell tomorrow, Nehemiah, dealing with dung maybe I could work at the fish gate or maybe the horse gate maybe the sheep gate maybe even the water gate you know what I find fascinating in all this list is nobody griped about their assignment well, I'm not a horseman. I'm more of a sheep guy. I'm, I'm not a sheep guy. I'm more of a refreshing guy. I want to go to the valley gate. And no one asked for a preference assignment. Can you imagine what would happen if Nehemiah were to say, go to the gate of your choosing? Think about this. It was just assigned. Barry, you're working at the fish gate. Ed, you're at the Dungate. And you know what they said? Send us. Oh, why? Because they saw the need of the city, not the convenience of their own life. They saw the need to reach the city. And every one of those gates was essential. Every one of those gates. I've done jobs that I felt like I was carrying dung from one place to another. And I've worked for jo on jobs that felt like the glory of God was there. And I'll tell you what, whether it's the dung gate or it's the inspection gate, it doesn't matter. It's part of the city that needs to be redeemed. And if we'd quit complaining about our assignments, we'd get more done for the kingdom's sake. We'd get more done for the kingdom's sake. Humility is necessary in redeeming the city. How come they always get the cool jobs? Would you stop and just look at the city? Oh, every part of the city needs to be redeemed. And anywhere there's a weakness, the enemy will attack. And he's put you a place is the place you're called to labor so small and little known? We should sing that old hymn that the chorus says, little as much if God is in it, labor not for wealth of fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Humility isn't saying, I'm, I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. Humility is saying, Jesus, wherever and however you want to use me, I'm in line. Send me. I'll go do what you've asked me to do. Yes. Humility enables the work. 
and no one complains because they saw a job that needed to be done that would bring the welfare of the city. Third, diversity enables the work of God. Humility enables the work of God and attitude empowers the work of God. And we're gonna go a little bit further down this road. Look at verse five. I've met people like verse five. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulder to the work under their supervisors. They would not submit to the work. They would not further it. We don't know why, either through pride or sloth or covetousness or secret compliance with the enemy. We don't know why, we just know that they were unwilling to work. And any leader that's not willing to work is not a leader. And I've never asked anybody to do a job that I wasn't willing to do. As a leader, you need to be willing to do the work. Put your shoulder to the plow, put your hand to the plow, your shoulder to the wheel, get out there and do it because the work of God will never be done by people who are too good to do the work. It's not my job. Can't make me do it. They refused. And there's a disagreement over the end of the translation of that verse that, that I'm thankful for the disagreement over how it should be translated because it illustrates a deeper truth. King James says this, they put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Nobles, who were they? They were governors, they were rulers, they were leaders. And when they refused to do the work of the wall, it's saying, they're refusing to do the work of the Lord. Now, the NIV translates a little different. And again, there is discussion over this that says they would not do the work under their supervisors. I think both are true. Because if you'll not submit to human authority, you're not in submission to divine authority. <laughs> are you ready for this? I think the second translation is probably the better one of the two and I've seen it played out this way they don't have any right to tell me what to do I've been in leadership for 40 years and that supervisor doesn't know half what I know and I am not letting some punk tell me what to do Is anybody hearing me now? They say that a good supervisor is someone who can step on your toes without messing up the shine in your shoes. I've worked for supervisors who could mess up the shine in your shoes without ever stepping on your toes. Incompetent, unqualified, I should have led. Anybody been there? Anybody know anybody that's been there? Anybody imagine what it could have been like? Anybody understand English? <laughs> you see, it's not your call. In fact, 
here's the thing to understand about leadership and submission. Submission to a leader doesn't make you inferior to that leader. And I don't have time to go there today, but when we talk about the headship of the husband, there's this idea that if I'm in submission to my husband, that makes me inferior to him. Oh, not at all. You can be in submission to authority over you to such a degree that God will honor you over them. You can show yourself superior to them by your submission to them. Is that making any sense to you at all? That when you show yourself as a person willing to come under a covering, that God can use that for the building of his kingdom and how much of kingdom work isn't done because no one has a right to tell me what to do. I, Pastor Matthew, I wasn't gonna do this. This is spur of the moment and I may not do it second service. Uh, stand up for a moment, will you? I'm gonna totally humiliate you. I've been waiting for this opportunity. <laughs> How many of you know that he's not Pastor Kevin? And how many of you know that he has much less experience than Pastor Kevin? And how many of you know that, well, I was gonna say Pastor Kevin is smarter than him, but that's 50-50. That's <laughs> and when we made this transition, do you know what my number one concern was? Because he doesn't bring the same level of experience to the table. I was concerned that our workers would say, I know more than he knows. I have more experience than he has, and I'm not doing what he says. That's what I was afraid of. But you know what I saw? Workers who said, we'll follow whoever God puts as our leader. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's quality workers. Thank you, Pastor Matthew. Give Pastor Matthew a hand. He's doing a phenomenal job, by the way. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. I have more life behind me than I have ahead of me. And I see some young punks coming up, catching up with me. <laughs> and one of these days, they're going to pass me. And they're going to tell me how it ought to be done. We all need to learn how to, listen, listen to this carefully. We all have to learn how to submit to authority that we may see as inferior to our ability. Amen. Are you hearing me? Yes. That is a tough lesson. And the nobles said, we're not doing it. We are not doing it. And you know what we'll remember about these nobles? We won't remember how they became nobles. We won't remember their names. We won't remember what accomplishments they had. All we'll know is that they refused to do the work of the Lord. Right. Who do you want to be? Do you wanna be someone that works at the Dungate or someone that, that is recorded forever as not doing the work of the Lord? Now, go to verse 20 in chapter three. Next to him, Barak, son of Zabai, zealously repaired a section. I wanna be that guy. I wanna be that guy. I may not be the smartest, I may not be the fastest, I may not be the most skilled or have the most abilities and talents, 
But I'm telling you what, the goal of my life is that nobody outwork me, that no one outzealous me, that my passion leads me where God can use me. And I may not be the best. I may not be the brightest. I may never be known around the world. But I can do what God's called me to do with zeal, zealous for good works, zealous after God, passionate at the things of God. What do you want to be, a loser or a winner? Losers refuse to submit, and winners are zealous about what God's called them to do. Whatever he's called you to do, do it with all of your might. Do it with all of your strength. Do it with all of your heart. Did it with zeal. And they went to work. Success and favor require that we get to work. Unity, humility, and a good attitude will have a direct impact on the future of Berean Church. Unity, humility, and a good attitude will have a direct effect on our impact on the city. And it may just be this morning that some of us need to repent of something. Some of us might, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to, oh, God knows my heart. I want to see the wall rebuilt in central Iowa. I want to see the work of God advance in central Iowa. And to do that, I've got to have my heart right. Is there a chance that during this message about work, God put his finger on something on your heart and said, you need to get this right? Somewhere, sometime, God said, here's where you need to adjust. If he touched you in some way, would you just slip your hand up quickly? Just slip your hand up somewhere. Thank you, thank you. Hands going up all around. Thank you. God, you see us. You see our, you hear our hearts. You know us. And we want to do the work of the kingdom. We want to do the work of the kingdom. You've given us favor. You're giving us success help us now do the work and if you're willing to work anywhere on the wall from the dung gate to the tower would you just stand and let's take a moment to worship God together Pastor Nathan if you'd lead us let God just do something fresh and new in your heart today something fresh and new in your heart today
Lord Jesus, we stand here in humility before you, asking you to link us together as a mighty army of God, builders of your kingdom, to make a difference around us. Show us what part of the wall you want us to build and help us do it faithfully. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said,